be about the Father's business, doing and being what God's called us to be, but yet we're headed toward the end. We're headed toward the end. Now, let me ask you a personal question. Did y'all have a good Christmas? Anybody hungry? Well, we, we, we can take care of her. We'll get you plenty to eat, honey. I'll sugar you up and send you home. I, you know, it was at a point to where I would find myself staring unconsciously into an open refrigerator thinking, I'm not hungry. Why am I standing here? And staring at all of this leftovers. And, and I'm talking about good leftovers. And someone say, is there any of Nanny's lemon pie? Nope, it gone. Well, what about so-and-so? Nope, it's gone too. Well, what about this? And what about, and there was all this. I, I ate way, way more than I should have. But it was so good. It was so good. I, I mean, we had fresh banana bread. and We had fresh this bread and that bread and all these other things. Today, as we look, Mark 8, we see lessons from a loaf of bread. Jesus taught many, many stories around the table. He, he preached more around the table in many times than he did out in, uh, in the synagogues. He would go and sit down around the table and teach. What did he tell Zacchaeus? Just come down, I'm coming to your house today and they would sit around the table he did the same with Matthew and he did the same with many others well we know and we had the Lord's Supper last Sunday night and we 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 recognize Jesus as the bread of life but notice with me some lessons from this loaf of bread in Mark chapter 8 in those days, the multitude, being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and said unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Jesus is fixing to go into a full-blown discourse in teaching them around this subject. First of all, I want us to look at these first couple of verses at the fact that the sovereign servant pointed out the truth that we live in a hungry world. A hungry world. Now, there are a lot of people physically hungry. And, you know, and I've told you this before, and I've been scolded by it. It's rough when you get scolded uh, based on the lessons you taught, but we raised our children in our home that we never, ever, ever say, I'm starving to death, because there are people starving to death. There are people that are literally starving around the world. And so we don't say that, and I've caught myself, you know, being, being just really hungry to the point that, you know, our, our new Webster's Dictionary word, I was hangry, 
you know, I, I was angry because I was hungry. And I said, man, I'm about to starve. One of my kids throw out that righteous finger and point and say, we don't say that. And immediately I said, you're right. Because I've walked the streets and had those little children come up to me that were starving. I have been in those places that we saw gypsies in those villages in Ukraine and in the squalor and trash and leftovers of the earthquakes and the hurricanes in Haiti and throughout Central America and Nicaragua and, and in Honduras and in some of the Appalachian regions, the, the, the sheer devastation of hunger. But Jesus is speaking more of the spiritual hunger of the day. As we look around in this world, we see it's a hungry world. We're hungry. And it is, isn't it amazing what you'll eat when you're hungry enough? Huh? I mean, really. I still have not figured out how I put a Brussels sprout in my mouth the first time. But I did, and now I love them. I know y'all wrinkle your nose. You had my wives. You love them. The world is hungering and doesn't even know what they want to eat. And what we've got to first realize as we begin looking and standing on the precipice of the possibilities of 2019, we must first notice the multitudes with nothing to eat. The world goes to and fro and has nowhere, no idea where they're going. The world is hungry and doesn't even realize it. They are desperately in need for spiritual food. Are we going to just stand by and allow them to die spiritually when we could reach out and say, our community, let me reach out past our church. Our community does a really good job of ministering to people in need. We saw our own police officers uh, going out and handing out presents to kids that were in need. We have, we've got a food bank. We have a ministerial association. Our own church provides in so many ways people who are in need. Church, you don't even realize sometimes how we reach people's needs through benevolent funds of helping people with bills that need to be paid to people who are hurting because of the devastation of fire or other kinds of issues that they may face. But I'm telling you, we are not doing God or them any service if we just give them uh, some food to eat, some clothes to wear, and a bed to sleep in, and don't tell them about Jesus. God has called us to know and to see the multitudes who are hungering and thirsting for something that only righteousness can fill. The multitudes with nothing to eat, he said in verse 1. But notice in verse 2, I have compassion on the multitude. We must acknowledge the need. It, here's the deal. We're not, we're not necessarily afraid to acknowledge the need if we can do quietly where nobody hears us acknowledge it and then hold us accountable to have to do something about it. We're good with our church helping the needy as long as we don't have to be part of that. And let me go on and say, listen, it's one thing to give to Lottie Moon. It's another thing to get on a plane and go over there and preach like she shared the gospel. 
It's one thing to say, man, isn't it great what we're going to do with these people with special needs? But are we going to be the paparazzi? Are we going to stand and cheer them on? Are we going to give sacrificially so they can all be kings and queens for the night? Are we going to provide? Are we going to serve them? We've got to acknowledge the need. Sometimes, as the church, we don't even want to note it. We don't, we don't admit there's a need. But Jesus said, I have compassion on the multitude. Because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. We've got to acknowledge there's people on our roads that need Jesus. They need a touch. There's people in our family that we went and we exchanged gifts and we fellowship and we played games and we sat around the table and they're going to die without Christ if we do not acknowledge the greatest need of them all. The world needs Jesus. I don't know about you, but I need Jesus. I needed him as Lord and Savior when I was young and realized my lostness. Jesus saved me, but every day I need his touch. I need his filling. I need his presence. I need his wooing and leading and loving and, and his intercession for me to the Father. We need to acknowledge our need so we can acknowledge the world. Jesus acknowledged it. Jesus said, look, look at all those who are hungry. Look at all those who stand in need. We've got to do something about this. Here's where we can recognize the possibilities. He said, and if I send them away fasting to their own homes, they will faint in the way, for many of them have come from afar. We've got to, we've, we've got to recognize the possibilities of what God can do through us if we would just simply open our eyes to the possibilities of what God can do. Now, we know, we've read what happens here. We've read what he's already done. You remember where we read not too long ago about the five loaves, two fish? How many did he feed? Do we believe that? I mean, really, really, really believe Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and fed five thousand people. You know, most historians say that's just five thousand men, not including women and children. We're going to see how much the, the disciples who saw it with their eyes believed in just a moment. We need to recognize what could God do at Eastside Baptist Church if we were willing to bring him five loaves and two fish. What could he do in our life. I challenged our singles this morning in Sunday school. I challenged them. Their realm of influence is different than mine. They can reach more people. I may have 400 friends on Facebook and they've got 1,400. You know, they, they, and, and they've got it all over the world. Their, their realm of influence is so beyond mine. They can reach who they can reach better than I can. But first, we've got to acknowledge the need and recognize the possibilities. God can do great things. Joey recognized with God, this place could be transformed and the possibilities of what could happen to reach and to minister and to love on families 
And people is within our grasp if God does it. Don't y'all like to see God-sized things? We sing about God-sized things. Matt leads us to sing God-sized things. It's a God-sized thing that Jesus saved you. It's not a man-sized thing because you can't save yourself. It's a God-sized thing of Christmas. I mean, the virgin birth, really? It's a God-sized thing that we're here today. Why do we limit him? That which is limitless. He spoke the worlds into existence. Jesus is telling them. He is showing them. He said, listen, we can't just send them back. What are we going to do? Do you know that all of us are going to stand accountable for the Lord? You say, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. Yes, but we're going to give accountable if you are going to heaven before a Lord and Savior and say, why did you not tell your neighbor? Why did you not reach your community? I placed you in Eastside. I placed you in Claxton. I placed you in Evans or Bullock or Tattnall or, 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 or uh, Bryan County. I placed you there for the purpose of sharing the gospel. I gave you the education you got. I sent you to that school so that you could go into that workplace and share the love of Christ right where you were at. And all you could think about is if I could go do something else. Or that you had self-made, you had studied hard, and you had achieved all that because you worked hard. Do you not realize you couldn't do it without me? That's what we're going to hear. So what is the solution? His disciples answered him, where can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? I don't know about you, but my mother is not Jesus. But I believe my mother's close enough to the Lord that I have seen her do miracles with food. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Where they could whip up a whole meal out of something, out of nothing. How they would stretch stuff. One day I sat down and I thought, oh, wow, this is, this is cool. I mean, it, I love potato patties. Where they'd take leftover potatoes. Any of y'all ever ate any? You know, they'd, and she'd pat them out and fry them and one day I thought, well, man, these, I love, listen, if I had to live on one thing for 40 years in the wilderness and God asked me my opinion, if I could live 40 years on one thing, I could live on potatoes for 40 years. Now I might die from diabetes or whatever from the starch intake and weigh 600 pounds, but I could eat potatoes, fried potatoes, boiled potatoes. I mean, I sound like Bubba. You know, whatever kind of way you can cook a potato, I like the potato. So she's fixed this, and I'm like, man, this is good. I said, uh, man, I love these, these, you know, potato paste. She said, those are not potato paste. I said, come on, what? Well, I noticed they were kind of darker. I just figured, you know, something, I don't know. She said, no, those were leftover Crowder peas, and I just smashed them up and fried them. <laughs> Unbelievable. Take your leftover Crowder peas, smash them up, and fry them in a pan. Try it. She would take leftover biscuits. Make bread, bread pudding you ever eat in your life. Leftover rice, rice pudding. Because my day is always, I need something sweet, you know. She takes something about this big, you add enough milk, throw a little flour, stir it up. Man, you got a pot of something. Throw a bone in it, give it a little flavor. But Jesus would literally do it out of nothing. 
The solution is Him and Him alone. They said, how can we do this? We stand on the precipice of great miracles in our lives, and yet we doubt God. I'm going to ask you something. We're live. We do all this stuff. We record. But I want to hear from you today because worship is not about the preacher or the musicians entertaining you. I want to hear a valid answer. Has God done anything in anybody's life in 2018? If he has, that you can literally say, yes, God delivered me. God did this in 2018. I want you to raise your hand, stand, tell your church. Mason, did you say something? Jimmy? What? What did he do? He got you through surgery. Got you through surgery. Amen. Amen. Got him through surgery and through the hospital. What else? Somebody else was over here. Jay, Ellie. God moved you here. That's pretty cool. Joey? Amen. Say it. Saved his daughter, just moving in his life. Yeah, brother. Open heart surgery. Amen. Anyone, God do anything else in anybody's life? I walked 10 miles and lived. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, and we know we love you. You like to joke and stuff. But how, how much weight have you lost? 55. 55 pounds. You feel better. You're healthier. I mean, God is, but God is, I mean, 10 miles is a pretty big deal. I mean, we laugh, we joke, but we're glad because that's healthy. And we need, but God gives us, the, we think, oh, well, he's just set his mind. I'm going to tell you, you can set your mind all you want, but if God's not in it, it ain't going to get done. What is the solution? God's the solution. God, listen, you can plug the Lord Jesus Christ as the answer to anything that is a valid question, any need this world has, Jesus is the solution. Do you believe that? He's the solution to marriage. He's the solution to parenthood. He's the solution to sports. He is the solution to church growth. He is the, and when I say that, I'm not talking about just numerically. I'm t listen, that guy that just gave us a testimony, he said, listen, if we've got 100, we're thankful. And God is blessing them, and they're reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about being a mega church. It's about being the church, being alive and seeing what the solution is. They said, what are we going to do? This is what Jesus said. He asked them, said, how many loaves do you have? He didn't say, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to take some bread, I'm going to take this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it. You know, the blind man came up, he said, you know, he, he, he spit on the ground, he rubbed it up, he took the spittle and, and, and the mud that, where Jesus had spit it and rubbed it on the guy's eyes, and he could see. Am I right? So, a lot of times, but Jesus didn't give them a 12-step program or he didn't give them an orientation book or a schematic of how he was going to do it. He just, he, he didn't just tell he showed them. He said, I'll tell you what, instead of just giving you the answer, because I want to all of us, we learn better by going through it than somebody just telling us. It's just the truth. 
When you experience God's touch in your life, you, do you hear the testimonies this morning? I mean, there's people here that may have not said it, that God healed them from cancer this week uh, or this year. Open heart surgery. Listen, I had cancer. A month ago, I had cancer. You say, oh, that's just skin cancer. When the doctor tells you you've got cancer, I don't care if it's skin cancer or hair cancer. When you hear them tell you on the phone, it come back positive, you've got cancer. You've got cancer. And they drilled this big old hole in my nose, flayed it open, butterflied it like a shrimp. Y'all saw how nasty it looked, eyes swollen, nose, I mean everything. Listen, God caused us to, it to flood and rain out our services that week so y'all wouldn't have to see me. It was horrendous. But then I went out, they did it all, sent me out into the lobby, sitting there in the lobby. He said, we're gonna send this off, we're gonna check the marker, we're gonna check all the margins, all this stuff. Because of the kind of cancer, we're going to check for tunneling. It may have gone deeper. We may have to go back. So we have, we have cut out what we believe, and we've sewn you up, but you're going to wait in the waiting room, and we'll let you know. We should get the reports back in somewhere around 45 minutes to an hour. So we're sitting there, and I'm trying to focus on a television show to get my mind on, off the other things. And, we're, Becky and I are just sitting there, and we're talking about other things, and maybe going to get some lunch or something. And I'm just sitting there, well, in about 40 minutes, the girl just sticks her head out. She said, hey, you're good to go. That's all she, she didn't say. It was all clear. You're good. She didn't take my hand in her hands and pat me and rub me on my head and say, it's all going to be all. She just stuck her head out the door and said, it's all clear. See you later. Boom, that was, I'm like, really? Was that good? I, I, I'm confused, was that good? But it was good, it was clear. God is the solution to whatever you're facing. And some of us, and we're the most prideful generation ever, you sit here every week and you refuse to acknowledge openly that there's issues in your life. We all have issues. And it is not humble for you to go rescue everyone else, but you won't give your own problems to Jesus. That's not, that's not a giant reward from God for that. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and let God, the greatest ministry you can ever do for anyone else is to be honest and let them see your weakness and that God had to rescue you. And he didn't just tell them, he showed them. He said, how many loaves? They said seven. He commanded the people to sit down on the ground. He took them, gave thanks, break it, gave to his disciples. And they said it before the people. And they had a few small fish and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat. And were, I like that, don't you? Now get this, could they have been full and even satisfied off of just bread? I love bread. I don't, just about any kind of bread. I love bread, like potatoes. 
I mean, I'm one, I'm that kind, if I eat, I need some bread. If it's just a piece of loaf bread, I need some bread. I lived, uh, they make these giant soft bagels in Jerusalem. Do you get any of them? They sit three for a dollar. They're about this big. And, and I lived off that and thank the Lord in Israel. Listen, it's, it's not as much that they're fighting over Islam and Judaism between the Arab nations and Israel. I figured out in 1986 what they're fighting over. When I was in Jordan and we had to cross the Allenby Bridge to go into Israel, and it was, I mean, it looked like a Chuck Norris movie, razor wire and machine guns. and I mean, you're just looking for some kind of craziness. But all you could get in Jordan to drink were Pepsi's. And when we went into Israel, all they served was Coke. I said, now I know the fight. Coke and Pepsi have been fighting each other over here, and they've let it spill over into everything else. That's funny. I, I, it's just, that's, that's funny. Now it's, you know, you know, we don't have Dr. Pepper's. Mr. Pib okay? No, that's not what I ordered. I want Dr. Pepper. I want a Coke. Listen, here in this situation, Bread would have been good, but then he, he adds to the story. He said, hey, there was some fish there too. And he just blessed them too. And he had them all sit down. And they were satisfied. They were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000. And he sent them away. Now he's fed 5,000, had 12 baskets. He filled, he fed 4,000 out of seven loaves we see later and seven baskets left over. The, Jesus, he didn't say, watch this. This is what I'm going to do. He just simply said, how many loaves do you have? And he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he did a work in their life. It's time for us to open our eyes and see what God can do when we will simply be obedient with a loaf of bread. Literally. And figuratively. But God can do so much. We can take a loaf of bread. We can make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We can make pimento cheese sandwiches. We can feed people literally. We can take figuratively our lives as bread on the altar before the Lord and serve Him through these this youth basketball league and share the gospel and share the love of Christ with kids who come in here each week and we can see whole families change. We can. If we will notice the lesson of a hungry world. But then I want you to see not only do we identify a hungry world but the sad case of an experimental religion. Some of us are just seeing if God's really who he says he is, so we can get something out of it. Look in verses 11 through 13. Here comes the Pharisees. They came forth and began to question with him. This is that same bunch that had come up out of Jerusalem. And they began to question him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. This word tempting in the original language literally means to examine or to scrutinize. Sounds like our world today. What do you mean by that? And we scrutinize everything. And we want to look and say, well, I believe you meant this. 
Well, I said it. I know what I meant. Yeah, but you said it this way. And so they were trying to trap. We know the Pharisees always trying to trap and trip up Jesus. It literally means to experiment with someone. They were running a religious experiment on this guy that was doing these miracles. Well, I want you to notice what happened. It said in verse 12, he sighed deeply in his spirit. I knew I was in deep trouble. I'm 54 years old and I still know I'm in deep trouble if I hear my mother go. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ stood here in front of the Pharisees and he went, in his spirit. It broke his heart. But it grieved him. Listen, it grieved the spirit of the Lord. The Bible warns us about grieving the spirit of God. This experiment, this experimental religion, they were trying their religion against him as a religion. Listen, they were experimenting to the fact that they said he is a fake. He's a fraud. He's not all about the law. He doesn't understand. He doesn't grasp it. When he was the lawgiver and the law fulfiller, they just were blind to it. I'm going to tell you something. If you think you've got it all figured out, just get through the rest of the day, go to bed and get up tomorrow, and you'll find out you're still not as smart as you thought you were. And the problem is we've got to be honest and ask God, am I grieving your spirit, Lord? Are you watching my life right now? And, and isn't it amazing how even sinners know some things that Christians do are sin, but yet the Christian tries to justify and rationalize it? It's just the case. It's the truth. And I know, and I, I just right then was very hesitant to say what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Because I believe that it is scriptural, it's as biblical as anything. Monday night, New Year's Eve. You go out on the town, take your spouse out, take your kids out, go out with your friends, you're going to go watch fireworks, you're going to go do whatever. And you say, we got to get something to eat. You just happen to pop into that restaurant. You go into that restaurant and sitting there at the table is your pastor and his wife. And we're throwing them back. I'm talking about drinking alcohol. Any kind of alcohol. Don't you for one second sit where you're at and say, I don't see any problem with that. With the pastor doing it, you're a liar. You would crucify me. I, it would blow up every social media thing there is. It would be posted all over the world. Now, am I right? Even lost men know it's wrong for Christians to do it. And yet Christians want to rationalize and justify it. It's a shame that such a scourge on America. There's more people die from alcohol than they do from heroin overdoses. There's more families broke up over alcohol than there are immigration 
and politics. Alcohol, and we have bought this bill of goods that is going to provide us more tax. Thank God we've got two councilmen who are members at Eastside Baptist Church who calls a spade a spade and says, we do not want it in our city. And it still didn't, and it passed because others are not worried about it. Well, it's politics. Listen, stand up for what is right and stop buckling under the political pressure of what your friends say and what everybody else says and what the world tells you and stand up for what is right and quit grieving the Spirit of God. It was the religious crowd that grieved the Spirit of God. He said in verse 12, boy, it got quiet then. Everybody don't, I know everybody don't like that. But you know what? I, I don't like to be reminded of what a sinner and broken person I am. Because I'm not pointing, listen, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. You notice I didn't point at anybody when I said that. Because I've got my own sins that I deal with, my own flesh. I, I confessed to one of my brothers up here this morning. Of, of, of the weaknesses in my life, of, of, of tricks Satan plays in my mind. And I lay there at night and, and I think everything's about me. And I hear somebody say something, oh, I'm, and I grieve the Lord's Spirit because I'm not living in the freedom that He means for me. Now, worry. You ever worry? Worry is a responsibility God didn't intend us to have. That's a sin. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Listen. With prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which goes beyond our understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. Don't grieve the Spirit of God. We're quenching it. Where is revival in the land? It's not because lost men won't get saved. It's because saved men won't surrender. Lost people cannot be revived. They've never been vived. Revivals for the church when God's people who are called by His name will turn from their wicked ways, repent and come to an altar and say, oh God, have mercy on my soul. Change me, mold me, make me and use me. We'll set the world on fire. The same disciples who said, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed all these people? were the same ones that once they got a hold of the fullness of the Spirit of God and stopped quenching and grieving the Spirit of God, went out and turned the world upside down. Don't tell me you can't do it. You can if God's in it. And God wants to use you, even today. I got a lot of energy on this. What are we going to do about the church? How are we going to get Sunday school up? Well, listen, I buy into that, some, that stuff sometimes too. You don't know how we're going to get it up. You don't know how we'll raise Lottie Moon giving. You don't know how we'll reach the youth and how we'll reach others. We'll get on our face and say, God, if that means me, then I'll do it. We'll say, God, I want it to happen. But sometimes we don't want it to happen through us. We want it to happen through somebody else. I don't want to lead the women. I want to give them all the ideas, but I don't want to lead it. I want to tell, I want to tell the children's ministry what they need to do, but I don't want to work in it. I want to bring people to Bible school, but I don't want to teach it. I want to pray and talk about our singles ministry, but I don't want to do anything with it. 
I just want to come. I can come in right at, the end, right at the start and I can slip out a little early. We're quenching the Spirit of God. And then a denied spirit, he said in verse 13, he left them. And entering into a ship again, departed to the other side. Physically, he left them. But we, saw, we see in John chapter 2 the exact same thing. It says that he did not commit himself unto all men, for he knew what was in man. Some of us are limiting him because he knows our spirit. And his spirit is grieved and quenched because of what he could do. But listen, if you're lost today, and for whatever reason you have convinced yourself you're all right, and you're denying the power and the presence of God, then he will deny you his spirit. You know why people die and go to hell? It's not because they commit suicide. It's not because that they were a child molester. It is not because that they beat their children and didn't work and provide for their family, even though that is worse than an infidel, the Bible says. People die and go to hell because they deny the convicting, convincing Spirit of God telling them Jesus is Lord and Savior. And in their denial, their unbelief declares them lost and outside the family of God. You go to hell because you choose to go to hell. You believe you don't need Jesus. Now, if you're good living the way you're living, roll on. But know there's a payday coming someday. This is not all there is. You're going to wake up one day and it's going to be a different time. Listen, we identify a hungry world. We see he teaches them by looking at the experimental religion of their life. See, they, they have stood off and watched him do this miracle. And yet, I want you to see the empty lives in verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. You ever got on the road or went, went hunting or got in some place and forgot to take something to eat and thought you would literally fall out? I learned to put me a pack of peanut butter cheese crackers in the arm rest of my truck. And I can live, I could probably live a good three days on a pack of peanut butter and cheese crackers. Y'all think I'm joking. You know, it's really cool. You start, man, I'm about to die. I'm, you know what I talked about earlier, we're not near what we think. But then you find that little, that one little thing that you forgot was in there. You know, when your parents are smaller kids, they were the, uh, what were them little gushies? Gushers? Gushers. Man, I'd find a pack of gushers, and it was like the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, my. This is like glory. I mean, it's just wonderful and fruity and juicy. It was great. He said in verse 14, the disciples forgot to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. All of them there, we know 12 disciples at this time, Jesus, one loaf of bread, forgotten food. Forgotten food. 
Have we forgotten God's word? Man, we just came through 13 weeks of experiencing God. Youth, you came through experiencing God. You come to Sunday school week in, week out. We sit through messages Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We have Bible study, in-depth Bible study. We ask questions. We talk amongst each other. We read devotions. We do other things. But have we forgotten the real bread of life? We can read this book from cover to cover, but if we don't let it sink in, and nourish us. A bread of a loaf of bread will do a hungry man no good sitting on a shelf. Somewhere it's got to be taken down, sliced and consumed. Y'all with me on that? You ever saw a cake that was so pretty you hated to cut it? I know, Timmy, I'm the same way. It ain't nothing that pretty. I mean, if it's that pretty, I won't cut it even worse. But I've saw, my mother made one one time for a girl, and it was a, it was a, I don't know what you'd call it, a southern bell cake, but she took it like a Barbie doll. She made the cake like a hoop dress. Y'all seen those? And the girl she made it for, she loved it so much she never cut it. The cake underneath it rotted. The icing hardened, and it stayed that way. I don't know how long she kept it that way. But it just, it was like that. Any of you froze your, your wedding cake, and you took it out 10 years later and tried to eat it? Yeah, no. We tried. We put it in our mouth. I swallowed a portion just to say I did it. But it, it just, listen, we have forgotten God's goodness. Have you forgotten what this book holds? It is the keys of life. It is our nourishment. It's what we need. And then the unhealthy practices of forbidden food. Look what he said in verse 15. And he charged him saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves and said, It's because we have no bread. Oh, they completely missed the point. It was the unhealthy practices. They said, Look, you have forgotten to follow me, but you need to look at them and don't do what they do. Because their pride and arrogance has puffed them up and it has ruined everyone around them. I'm going to tell you something, young person. You may think nobody's watching you, but I want you to remind you everybody's watching you. There is nothing people like more than to run home and tell my daddy what they saw me do. It was amazing, the eyes. Listen, there wasn't no internet. There wasn't any cell phones. There was, there was no World Wide Web in 1982. But by the time I drove home from Daytona Beach, Florida, to my house, my daddy already knew what I'd done on my senior trip. He did. And whether he did or not about other things in my life, make no mistake, the Bible tells us, be sure your sin will find you out. Forbidden food, stay away from pharisaical practices where we just buy into what somebody else is doing, what somebody else is saying, just because, listen, especially if it's a majority. Okay? And then I want to finish with these empty lies of unhealthy practices, forgotten food, Feeble 
faithless understanding. They still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. They said, oh, he's talking about we only brought one loaf. What's that got to do with being puffed up like leaven? That's what, it's yeast. It's, it's what they put in it to make the bread rise. We know what the law said about unleavened bread. That's why we eat that bread that we do at the Lord's Supper, not loaf bread that has been yeasted and it has risen with the, the leaven that has been placed in it. They missed the point. We need to grow up in the faith. We, not, we ought to know about God's Word. Everyone in this room ought to know enough of God's Word without having a Bible in their hand to be able to tell a lost man how to be saved. And I'll take the blame. I will take the blame as pastor. I feel like we've done a pretty good job of discipleship, but there's a lot more we could be doing. Because if a disciple that has been discipled is not discipling, then he's not a real disciple and he hasn't been discipled. Did y'all follow what I just said? Because a real disciple will disciple someone else. If I've done my job as a father and I have led my kids to Jesus Christ and they have looked at Jesus and they've been born again and I teach them to do right. Listen, I may teach them don't speed and don't do this and don't do other things and pay your taxes and do good in school and I teach them all that, but I don't teach them how to grow and be nurtured in the faith and share their love with, of Jesus Christ with the other world, then I am not a disciple maker. All I am is an instructor. And you know what happens? This is what's sad. May this not be the testimony of each one of us in Eastside in 2019. Verse 21, and he said unto them, how is it that you do not understand? It was a fruitless walk. What were they going to do? They didn't know. Some of us think we have a clue. You don't have a clue. You haven't prayed. You haven't read God's word. You haven't said, God, what would you have me do? The answer is, Lord, feed me with your living bread. Feed me. How is it that you do not understand? As they come to the instruments, the Lord Jesus Christ is asking us today. I'm the bread of life. What more can I do for you? It's like that parable of the vineyard where the Lord of the vineyard, I mean, he built the walls and he took out the rocks. He put the choice vine in it. He did all these things and it put forth wild grapes. And the master said, what more could I have done? The Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that will ever be. The, the master sent his son to die for you and me, to take out the rocks and to place the choice vine in our lives. And yet we grow as wild grapes. There's nothing else that can be done. You know what he said? He said, I will tear it all down. Don't let a fruitless walk be the testimony in your life. God, listen, Jesus said, Have you not, can you not remember what I did with five loaves? Can you not, how many? They said, 12 baskets. He said, and then I fed 4,000. How many baskets? Seven. He said, and you think I can't do anything on this boat with one? 
He said, I fed thousands with five and seven, and I've only got 13 of us here, and I got one loaf. But I can make, make enough bread to sink the boat. It's time to stop limiting God. It's time to see the bread of life that can change our world, that can feed us physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially. Whatever need you have, Jesus is the answer. But we've got to be willing to come and say, I'm hungry. I'm in need, Lord. I, I, stop being puffed up like the Pharisees. Stop ignoring the fact that the multitudes are hungry and in need and say, God, use me, make me what you'd have me to be. Lord, I need to be saved. I need to be baptized and show the world what you've already done for me inwardly. I need to join this church and tell the world I'm willing to commit. I'm telling you, Lord, I'm willing to follow the path you've called me to follow. I could keep on and on and on. I could try to emotionally guilt you into it. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. If God is drawing on your life right now, then stand and come to the altar. Come to Jesus. Come to Him.